Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted, the Christ Central Festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom transforming the world, and reaching nations making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Welcome everyone. We'll uh, we'll make a start. That bodes well, doesn't it? So you're going to make a start and someone leaves. <laughs> he was going already. I waited until he stood up. Really welcome to this seminar this afternoon. I love the fact that we're talking about let's go to the nations, but none of us will go to the front row. That's, that's how radical we are. We're going to stay in the good Christian tradition of uh, being passionate, but only so far. Because the majority of us are English. Not all of us, though. So I expect to see a little bit more passion from the non-English people in the crowd. Uh, my name is Andy. This is my wife, Heather. Um, we are based in Birmingham. Um, but we've moved around a lot in the UK, being involved with church planting. Uh, I know lots of people here, know Jeremy really well, and numbers of other leaders who have been in this group of New Frontiers. Uh, but a lot of what I've done over the last uh, 15 to 20 years, really, has been helping us as a, a network, international family of churches, church planting to Muslim-majority countries. Um, that's been my particular passion, what God uh, called me to many, many years ago. Um, so I've been involved in sending of people to many of those nations. Uh, because this is being recorded, I'm not going to be too specific about where some of those places are. Um, a bit later, I'm happy to talk one-on-one with people or even when we get into questions. And I can get more specific and we can turn the recording off. Um, but I travel, a lot of my time is spent traveling uh, into those places. So what you're going to hear today is coming out, or lessons we've learnt out of the whole thing of recruiting, training, sending, what it means for churches to do that. How do you know if you're called? What does it mean to be called? How do you know if you're hearing God? Um, how, what are the next steps? Uh, is it only leaders that get to go? What about using my medical skills or teaching? All of that. So I hope to, come, to make this pretty practical, um, but to do so in the context of faith and vision. Uh, so I'll tell some stories in terms of what God is doing. Um, from the stuff I'm involved with. But the lessons are for whether you feel called short-term, long-term, whether it's South America, whether it's Europe, uh, whether it's an unreached people group. Um, So hopefully I'll pitch it at a level which will equip a lot of you. Um, We'll take questions later in terms of having a, a more open time. But please, we're a small enough crowd. If at any point something I say you want to know more, stick your hand up. It really isn't a problem. Um, And let's keep this interactive. Uh, Or if there's things which I'm I'm not addressing that you wanted to address, uh, then please ask, um, and I'll ask someone else to answer it, um, if it's uh, out of my brief. So that's the plan. So I hope this serves you well, um, and I hope it uh, really helps you. While I think of it, because I'm like to forget these kind of things, um, we've got these response cards for people that want more information. So they're on a table over there. So if anyone else does get called out with an urgent telephone call, I can tell you about these things now. Um, The reason for this is one of the things I'll come on to later, is that sometimes someone's call can take a long time to develop. God doesn't necessarily take you in the space of a month 
from living in one place and putting you somewhere else. Your core can grow and develop over time. How do you keep that fire burning? How do you stay connected? How do you hear about what God is doing in different places? Well, this group of churches, Christ Central, want to help coordinate that. I want to make sure that you don't just turn up at a seminar, hear what I hope will be lots of practical stuff, have God speak to you through the weekend, get stirred, and then hear nothing for ages. Or think, well, how on earth do I find out if we know people working in this part of the world or that part of the world? Or where do I get more information? Or how do I get trained? So we find it helpful to have a very straightforward mailing list. Um, I don't think they'll give you any offers on uh, double glazing or uh, anything else or insurances that you don't need. Um, This will only be to let you have the information that you ask for. Um, Because we're aware that whilst we trust the Holy Spirit to speak to us, there's lots of practical information we can put in people's hands. So it would really serve the team here, and I think serve you, that if, if you're thinking off the back of this seminar, hey, there's more information I need, or I want to stay connected, or there's a particular country I'm interested in, please fill one of these out, leave it on the table, um, and I'll hand them over to the leaders here, and they can shoot you an email and say, look, this is where we're working, or yes, we can connect you with this person. Does that make sense? So they're all over there uh, on the table, so do make use of that. Let's pray. I'm going to ask us to stand for a moment. Just... uh, God doesn't mind how we pray or where we pray, but sometimes engaging our bodies helps us, and it's a good way to kind of say to God, hey, I'm here. Father, we love you. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your love, grace, and mercy. And it's incredible that you save us, forgive us, cleanse us, call us children, bring us into family, and then you say, join you on the journey of making you known to all peoples in all places. And that's what we're in the room for, Jesus. Your glory, your name. In cities, towns, villages, in this nation, and the nations. Lord, you know what's on everyone's heart here. You know people's journeys. You know their call. Lord, I don't, but you do. And so my prayer is, yes, may this be practical, helpful, and inspiring. But bigger than that, Lord Jesus, speak to us, please. Jesus, our news... Our headlines are full of strife, oppression, hardship, famine, refugees, wars, suicide bombs, all kinds of things. And that's just in one bulletin. Jesus, this world needs you. And you have come and broken the power of evil and oppression and unrighteousness. And you've called us to make that known in all the earth. So to that end, Jesus, speak to us this afternoon, please. To that end, speak to us through this weekend. Lord, what's our role? What's our part? What have you got for every person here? Is it to pray? Is it to go? Is it to visit? Is it five years from now, ten years? Is it this year? Lord, we trust you on all of that, but we must hear your voice. Faith comes from hearing and hearing you. So I pray for every heart here. Speak to us, Jesus, this afternoon. Equip us, lead us, and then keep watering those seeds this whole weekend we pray amen let's take our seats i noticed in the program they give me two hours for this wow (laughs) i preach for an hour and they just give me 30 minutes so two hours will put us at about four hours goodness we won't take that long i mean the questions may cause it to go on i want it to serve you um but just so that you know we're not necessarily here through until four that's also me being accountable. My wife said to me, you're not going to speak until four. 
and she wasn't asking me. It wasn't a question. A friend of mine has been living in the Middle East for some years, uh, gave his time to learning Arabic, really, really important if you want to reach people from another uh, people group who don't speak language, even though English is such a trade language now and is spoken in many parts of the world. Uh, we believe in learning the heart language to reach the heart. Um, faith in Jesus is about the heart. And of course the Holy Spirit can work through any means of communication. And of course people can hear a snippet of the gospel in a language which isn't their first language. But when they see it and hear it in their first language, all kinds of things happen. So we believe in learning the language as a big priority. Not just landing somewhere and doing ministry, but land, learn the culture, understand the stories of the culture, understand the language. My friend had done this. Um, and he's still having language lessons. He's been in the Middle East for five, six years now, but he's still having language learning, language lessons. He speaks fluently, um, but in terms of spiritual language, there's still lots of more words he needs to learn. He's going to move to a capital of a, another nation, which is often in our news. Um, and uh, he's there uh, recently, just thinking, where should the team live? Where, what, what part of the city should we base ourselves in? The team will arrive uh, next year. Um, and uh, his wife uh, had come back to England. They're expecting their first baby. So he's walking around thinking, where should the team live? And also, where should we live? And we're going to come back with a family. That's a bit different in the Middle East. And he's praying, Lord, please, will you show me? I've got a few days here. I need you to speak. Please guide us. Where do you want to live? It's a very complex city. You don't want to end up in the wrong part of the city with the wrong neighbors, um, particularly not if you're a Christian and this is a Muslim nation. Um, it wouldn't necessarily go well. Lots of hospitality, but once they find out why you're there, then that might not go well. So you need to work out whereabouts to live. So he's walking around praying, saying, Holy Spirit, please will you speak. Goes into a cafe, um, into a shop, and starts chatting with the people in the shop, two young men. And uh, they get on to asking him uh, who he is, why is he there, what's going on. During the course of this, he feels the Holy Spirit prompt him to be open. Uh, and my friend loves using Bible stories talking about conversations, which in the Middle East is a brilliant thing to do. So he'll just tell a story about Jesus. He won't talk about the Bible. He'll just say, I read this story, or Jesus told this story. And he'll use it to open up spiritual conversations. And he had done that with these people really naturally and easily. So they began to ask, why was he coming? What did he do? So he explains to them. And he says, well, I, I believe that God loves people everywhere. And God wants us to love people everywhere. So I'm not going to live in the West. I want to come here and love people because that's what I believe pleases God. Um, just answers in that way. And, and in that kind of context, it lands really well and people understand it and get it. And there's no barrier. He's doing all of this in Arabic. And they say, well, what, what are you coming for? What do you do? So he says, well, I'm a teacher. And he feels I'm much from the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm a, I teach the Bible. And then they say, will you teach the Bible? You're going to come here and teach the Bible? Yes. Are you going to come here and teach the Bible to Muslims? Now, it's his first conversation with these people in the part of the city he's never been to before. And you normally wouldn't necessarily kind of jump right in, but he feels the presence of God with him. He's asked for God to guide him, and he feels free to be more open. He says, yes, I'm going to come here and teach the Bible to Muslims. The guys turn to him and say, oh, this is amazing. This is fantastic. A friend of ours had a dream of Jesus the other night. He's got all kinds of questions. We've got no idea what to tell them. Can we arrange for you to meet them? So the next day they met. That friend had led someone else to know Jesus, and they were reading the Bible, and they needed help. The next day, my friend goes into a cafe, 
he's in the, the same kind of area again, still praying, saying, God, I need to get this right. And uh, can we bring our, uh, what will be our newborn son? Um, what's his son's name? Pardon? Joseph. I had Joshua in my head for some reason. Can we bring Joseph? Is it safe? Is this where you want us? Holy Spirit said, trust me, go right into the center. Goes into the center, sees a cafe, walks into a cafe, gets chatting to a man smoking shisha and uh, tells him a story again from the Bible. And the man says, you're going to come and live here? He says, yes. He says, you're, and you're going to teach people these things? He says, yes. He says, this is amazing. Five years ago, Jesus came to me in a dream and I've been a believer in Jesus ever since. And I was baptized um, but I've never been able to settle in a Christian community because there are some in this particular city. He said, I've never been able to settle. I've never felt welcomed. And I've been wondering who can teach me more about Jesus. Five years. Five years. And then my friend went to say goodbye. And uh, as they were leaving, he said, what is your name? So he told him his Muslim name. And they said, but actually when I was baptized, God gave me a new name. It's Joseph. Same name as my friend's son. Jesus is working, friends in a place which normally wouldn't be on our news for all the wrong reasons, will be on our news as being a dark place, a place that many of us would think, is it even safe to go? The reality is Jesus has been working for years and years and years. He is turning up, having, giving people dreams. I'll tell you some more stories later. Uh, giving people dreams, appearing to people, and people are thirsty and hungry. Our news stories will tell us that the Middle East is a place. It's a place of strife and war. And dangerous, you don't want to go there. But Jesus has told us to go. Why has he told us to go? Because he's there already. And he's already working. Why do I begin with the stories? Because this gives us the context for what we're talking about this afternoon. <coughs> is that Jesus' name should be honoured in all the earth among all the peoples. Just to go to the Bible before we start getting to some of the practical steps. When God brought his rescue plan in through Abraham, he said to Abraham, through you I'm going to bless the whole earth. I'm going to bless all peoples, all the families of the earth, all the clans of the earth. I'm going to be blessed through you. So every people group, every clan. That was God's destiny. That was God's call for Abraham. A huge, huge call. I mean, think about that. Abraham was very, very old. couldn't have kids. And it wasn't just a promise that he would have a child or a family of his own. It was a promise that the whole earth would be blessed through him, which we know is fulfilled through Jesus. And then God keeps bringing this promise of the whole earth right the way through from the prophets. Isaiah, he says that in the last days, in other words, the time that we're living, that the nations, the, the mountain of the Lord's temple, so we think that the church, in other words, where God lives, will become chief among all the mountains. That's what Isaiah said, Isaiah 2. There's lots of mountains out there. It's a mountain of secularism, atheism, Hinduism, Islam. There's lots of mountains you're facing, many of you are facing them at school, uni, at work, huge mountains. You think, how can the church, how can the gospel ever penetrate these? Well, God's told us. The mountain of the Lord's temple will become chief. And the nations, there it is again, all the ethne, all the clans, all the families of the earth will come to it. God has already decided his glory will fill the earth. He said that to Habakkuk, another prophet. The knowledge of the glory of the earth the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And have you seen a sea without any water? Just want to check, because it's an unusual phrase, isn't it? We kind of quote these promises and think, oh, that's lovely. Let's set it to music and sing it. No, it's an unusual promise. 
The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. You don't see a sea without water. In other words, it's going to happen. Just as a sea is a sea because there's water, the knowledge of the glory of God's going to cover the earth. That can be in Damascus. That can, that can be in Aleppo. It can be in Baghdad. It can be in Leeds. It can be in Bolivia. It can be across the Americas and Mexico and every place where you live because God has promised it. And Jesus picked this up in Matthew 24. Matthew 24. He said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. There it is again, all ethnic, all families, all peoples. Then the end comes. You can buy any end of paperback books, teaching ministry websites that will tell you when Jesus is coming back. And they're looking at dates and they're looking at world affairs. And those things are kind of important, but it misses the point. Jesus told us when they're coming back. That's when this happens. That's when every language in every place, whether it's a village, whether it's a city, whether it's a town, will have heard the good news of the kingdom, that Jesus came from heaven, God's son, and broke the power of evil, wickedness, and injustice, was raised to life again, never to die, and is ruling and reigning over all things to bring justice, joy, healing, to bring shalom, to bring peace to the earth. And he will come back and make the whole world new when everybody has heard. And that's what the church is for. That's why we do things like this gathering. That's why we begin this morning talking about church planting. What do you mean church planting? It's just everything I could do to leave the office yesterday and set my tent up. And now we're talking about church. Why are we talking about church planting? Because Jesus' name must fill the earth. Because that's what we gather for. We come to weekends like this, desperately praying, I hope, for Jesus to meet with us, refresh us, renew our passion and renew our call. But not simply that we can feel loved, feel our relationship with the Heavenly Father renewed, be more secure in our identity, feel more comfort. All of those things are benefits of the gospel. But that we get blessed like Abraham in order to be a blessing. And God hasn't called the church to be a stationary, meeting-focused entity. It's meant to be the community that makes Jesus known in its city, town, village, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is with the disciples in Acts chapter 1. They're still trying to work out who he is. They're still trying to understand what's happened to the resurrect- with the resurrection. And is he going to conquer Rome and make Israel great? And they ask him that. Are you now going to restore Israel? And he says, it's not none of your business. It's puts a bit more politely in English, but that's what it means. It's not for you to know the times and dates. But you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's what's going to happen first. That's the church he's talking to. That's his new community. That's why you guys are there in small groups on Sundays, running alphas, doing youth work. It's for this. No, it's not for anything else. When we get to glory, Jesus isn't going to ask how many meetings we sat in, which is just as well because most of us have forgotten. When you get to my age, it's a lot. What Jesus is passionate about is have we got to the ends of the earth? Do the people living in that village on the side of a hill where the gospel doesn't go and there's no internet and they haven't even got satellite TV, but he's appeared to them in a dream? Who's going to go to them? Like my friend in that Middle Eastern city, meeting that man in a cafe. Five years ago, Jesus appeared to him. Five years ago, Jesus spoke to him. 
And he's saying, I've been praying for someone to come and teach me. Jesus is doing this. We get the joy of joining in. That's what today is about. That's the big picture. That's the call. Are we called to the nations? Yes. So that's it. Um, the next meeting will be this evening. I, I think the answer is yes. I think every church, every community, every people is. Now what our role is in that will be different. We're all called to pray. We're all called to share the passion that I've just articulated, whatever that looks like for you in terms of come on Jesus, make your name known. When new stories come up, when we see a famine or when we see another suicide bombing and sit in our front room feeling helpless, we're not helpless, we pray. Jesus, in that place, make your glory known. And he is. I could introduce you to people, not today, but I can introduce you to people who have lost people who have been killed in terrorism or been killed in war, and they'll tell you that Jesus is working. And they'll talk to you about some of the hardest of hearts, to us what look like the hardest of hearts, and how Jesus has softened. So whenever you see a new story, what it means for your heart to beat with Jesus' passion for the nations is you pray. So we're all called in that sense. Every church is called to do all it can. And for some it will mean going. For some it will mean going in and out, encouraging, strengthening, partnering with some of the the people who are part of this network, from like Joseph, for example, in Zambia, or Lee Yarber in the Americas, or other connections that you've got. Sometimes it's strengthening and encouraging them and giving them resources and helping them make disciples. But what it definitely means is the priority of the unreached, where Jesus isn't known. And we must, must, in our movement, see that come to the fore an awful lot more. God's calling you to go to a place where there are already churches and to strengthen them and use your spiritual gifts or use your skills as a nurse, a doctor, as a teacher to help. Absolutely. We're family. Let's go. Let's strengthen. But also, where aren't there churches? Where isn't Jesus known? Because what we must recover in our movement is that sense of, hang on, we've been called to make Jesus known where he isn't, not only to be a blessing to churches already. Does that make sense? The church has always been God's plan for this. Other organizations have been raised up through the centuries because the church has forgotten to do this. But God's plan always was a family to reach all the families of the earth. Abraham, a family. Israel, a family. But they never fulfilled it. God's plan is for the church, a family, to reach others from the end of the earth. To raise up and send, support, pray. Some of the practicals of that I'll talk about but to send people to the ends of the earth. Over the years, we've partnered with other organizations, mission organizations, we've learned from them, and we would still do that. Um, But actually, with some of the expertise, things we've learned, the fact we're an international family, we now understand how a church can do this, or a network of churches can do this. That a local church can raise up, train and equip, and send people. It's always God's plan that the church would do this, the local church. Just as Jesus said to those handful of disciples, no, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And that was before the internet, before planes, before we had fast travel. Jesus said to that bunch of, some of them fishermen, tax collectors, the furthest they'd been were the other side of Galilee. And even then they got scared when it got stormy. And Jesus said to them, you're going to go. This is going to go to the ends of the earth. And they must have thought, what on earth does that mean? We don't even know where the ends of the earth are. Hadn't all been mapped by then. Couldn't just go on Google. Think, where is that place? Never heard of it. Oh, look, there it is. Never heard of it. 
Jesus calls, whether it's a church plant or whether it's a church of 500, all churches to be connected in to this. So, that was the intro. How do you know you're called? Was that okay? Does that set the scene? It's so, so important we do that. I want the practicalities. I want to be equipped. I want to keep it real. But it must come from a place of vision and faith. How do you know you're called specifically to go? How, how do you know that you're hearing God and you don't just like good holidays or good travel? It's an important question. A few things to help us. God speaks to us in all different kinds of ways and we're all different and we're all stirred by different things and we're all affected with different things. Some of us are more creative than others. Some of us are more practical than others. Some of us love planning. Some of us planning. What's planning? Why plan? Boring. Just let it come. Well, God will use your personality. He'll use your experience. It's really important. He'll use your personality. He'll use your experience. He'll use your passions to speak to you. Always does. Because he's a relational God. He's a father. And as much as we wish he would send the angel Gabriel personally to us with an atlas and a diary to tell us exactly where and when, he rarely does that. Very few people, and I've done this for years, who I've met have had that kind of strong heavenly voice. You will go to Baghdad or wherever. Or you will go there. Often it's God using our personalities, our experiences, and our passions. So for example, you could be watching a news story about a particular part of the world and suddenly find you're engaging with it far more than what you, you would any other news story. Well, there's a part of the world or a kind of new story, maybe about children or orphans or refugees or the Middle East or a documentary comes on about uh, a nation in Africa and suddenly you're engaged in a way that you weren't. You think, that's just me. I just, it was just interesting. Well, I like the photography. It might not be. In fact, I would say it's probably the Holy Spirit because that's how God gets our attention. It can be as simple and as practical as that. I mean, you've already seen me well up a couple of times during this as I've talked about parts of the world I live with. I don't turn that on. That's not come from me. God has just put that on my heart. So if you find yourself drawn to a particular part of the world, a people group or a nation or a particular demographic of society, be it people in abject poverty, be it children, be it the disabled, the Holy Spirit's doing that. You belong to him. Your heart is his. You're a new creation now. He's shaping what's inside of you. He's stirring it. And the biggest thing I find with people, which I totally understand because I've been through that journey myself, is you think, yeah, it was just me. I just got excited. Or I was in the meeting, and when I heard that story of that church being planted there, and I welled up and, and really prayed passionately when I asked us to pray, that's just me, isn't it? No. Because no one else in your row was doing it. They were kind of praying, but you were really in the zone. It's that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Your natural, what you think are your natural responses, God is using. So what we're saying, we're saying your passions, your interests, watching something, suddenly find your heart beat picks up, suddenly find there's emotion. Um, also, your skills. God will use your skills. Uh, could be a good planner, administration. God will use it. Someone who's got a heart for children or for education or for medicine, God will use it. It doesn't mean that he's got you through that university and those qualifications simply to do that stuff in the UK. 
he will use that. And if you've got that interest, I, I would say the fact you're in the seminar for a lot of you is because the Holy Spirit's already talking. You might not know where yet. You might not know when. You might not know exactly what it looks like. But very few people wake up in the morning and just naturally think, oh, I feel called to go to another nation. That's called going on holiday. <laughs> when it's a stirring that could cause you to come into a seminar room and hear about it, then I think that's the Holy Spirit. So he will talk in all different kinds of ways. It doesn't have to be a prophetic word. It doesn't have to be a dream. It does not have to be a specific nation. I've had conversations with people where they've been trying, they know they've been called, they've lived with it for a while, they're trying to work out where. And I've asked them questions about their interests, I've asked them questions about what they find themselves praying for or what they feel stirred on. Um, and it, it could fit a number of different situations. And so I end up kind of naming different places. So it was interesting listening to you talk about that. The people working here have got that kind of ministry. Oh, no, I wouldn't want to go there. Well, that kind of stuff also works down here. I know this group are working, doing this. No, that part of the world's never really appealed to me. You find yourself almost going through an atlas. And then suddenly something clicks. And you can see it in someone's face. I say, yeah, that part. But, I, but that's just me giving you a list. What? No, because God uses things in you, which can sometimes just be very, very practical. And I've even had people say, no, not there. I couldn't see ourselves working there and come back six months later and say, you know when I said no? Well, I got back. It's never left me. And God keeps speaking to me about it. And it keeps coming up and... Whenever I turn on the telly, there'll be a new story, and now I really do feel God wants me to go to that place. So God will speak in different ways, using different things. He doesn't have to speak to you about a specific nation. He can talk to you about a kind of work or a kind of ministry. He can speak to you about a person or a team that are working. Even this weekend, you could hear someone talk about what they're doing, and you could think, I really feel an affinity with that. And not necessarily the country they're in. I never had a heart for that. But what they're talking about, I love that. That's God. You don't have to have a call to that person's country or that person's city. But you feel a st- you could see yourself, I could really work with them. I could really give myself to that vision. That's enough. You don't have to have God name the language, the city, the latitude and longitude, or anything else. He will use anything, whether it's the person, the ministry, the demographic, or the place, to draw your heart. Next, it grows and develops over time. You don't have to have everything all at once, as much as we'd love that, because it just makes it easier. He will grow and develop your call over time. And I've seen this happen again and again with people, where some people come and say, ever since I was 9 or 10, and now they're in their 30s. I've had people who have gone in their 50s. In fact, a couple will go to one of our newest church plant teams in Turkey, and they're in their 50s. And they first went to Turkey a couple of decades ago, on business and it's never left them and all this time later it's turned into a call so they didn't have a heart for the place when they went on business but God did something and I think I don't want to do them injustice I think it's at least 20 years probably longer and now they're going to be part of a church planting team it grows and develops over time here's the biggie hopefully you'll get a bit more from the seminar from just this but if you get nothing else than this then I'm okay God is more than able to let you know his will. He's almighty, all-powerful. He made you, and he made big mountains, and he flung all the stars that there are into space. He's very, very capable of letting you know where he wants you and when he wants you there. 
So many of us can get hung up thinking, how do I know this is God? What if I go there and find it's not God? Really? Do you really think God's going to let that happen? What kind of heavenly father do you believe in? Now, I know Pauline well, so I can, I, can, I can say this. Can you imagine God with the angels, Gabriel and Michael? So watch this, I'm going to have some fun with Pauline. I'm going to give her this prophetic word about a particular nation. And she's going to mishear it. And then 15 years later, I'm going to let her know that she was wrong. Won't that be funny? <laughs> but to talk to some of us sometimes in terms of how we think guidance goes, we can be so worried that we're going to miss the will of God. I think, for those of you in the room who aren't English, just forgive us when we go on about this, because you'll be lost at this point, hopefully. You think, what? Really? Because I think this is a particularly English thing, because we just want to get it right all the time. And it's not a bad motive. Of course we don't want to miss the will of God. But it's funny to think we think we can miss his will. If you want some biblical evidence for this, I've got it in bucket loads. Jonah. Which is all about this. Jonah, go to Nineveh. No. Jonah, go to Nineveh. No, I'm going this way. Nineveh's that way. I'm going this way. All right, God, no, no, no. And probably quite rude as well. <laughs> Forgive me if you find that offensive. I'm not going. Where does Jonah end up? Courtesy of an almost capsized ship and a large fish. Nineveh. And that was with him being blatantly disobedient, saying no and going the opposite direction. Now, I don't know very many of you. I hardly know any of you. But you're looking like a pretty good bunch of people. I'm not sure there's anyone in the room right now. In fact, you wouldn't actually think about this. You wouldn't actually be in the seminar if you were saying no. So the very fact you're in the seminar suggests you're not saying no. Now, if God can get Jonah there, he'll get you there. There's such release in that. In terms of people thinking, have I got it right? Have I missed it? Some of you would be similar age to me. And some of you could be thinking, I thought I'd be there 10 years ago. Or is it even worth me going? Have I really heard God? If you haven't, he'll let you know. God is more than able to guide you, lead you, direct you, speak to you. Occasionally he'll do it in dramatic ways. But most of the time he's after your heart. Not your action. Not your plans. He wants your heart. So therefore he'll lead you through your heart. And he'll lead you in a way that will grow your faith and deepen your relationship with him so that when you land, and it's hard, because it will be, when you land and it's hard, you can look back and think, oh, God spoke to me. I remember the time in the seminar when Andy was talking and this landed. That was God. God, right now I'm struggling to learn this language, or right now I'm missing mum. I've had a phone call to say dad's gone into hospital and I've only been here three months and I was always thinking, should I wait to see if he's well or not or shouldn't I? Should I have waited for my parents? It means to honour my parents. That's a big one. And dad's not well and now he's in hospital. And should, Hang on, hang on. God, you, know, you spoke to me, didn't you? You spoke to me. You stirred my heart for years. And then this prophetic word came and then there was this seminar and then someone prayed this out. Yeah, I'm meant to be here. Thank you, God. Still got to decide whether or not you go back and see dad. At least you'll do it from a place of faith and not from a place of anxiety as to whether or not you've misheard God. Does that make sense? So your core grows and develops over time. God will add to it. He'll add prophetic things. He'll stir it. He'll direct it. He can even change it. I'll illustrate that in a minute. And be very confident in his ability to lead you. He's led you so far. I mean, think about that. Think about some of the backgrounds that some of you have come from. Think about some of the stuff he saved you out of. Think about some of the difficulties and challenges that he's rescued you from. Some of the family backgrounds you've come from. Hasn't he been faithful to you? 
Hasn't he blessed you and will keep blessing you? Look, if it's his idea to get you into another nation or get you traveling in and out, encouraging and strengthening, he'll give you everything you'll need. And right now, that will include guidance. He will speak. And if he's not saying anything for a while, that means he's okay with where you are, which is also a big release. Because of a weekend like this and a seminar like this, you can get, at least I hope you will, you can get stirred and it can feel like, right, I'm going to go next month. And it may be you crop up in another seminar in five years' time and you're still not gone. And it, what happened in, in, in that time? Well, God didn't want you to go. Unless you are being thoroughly disobedient, closing your heart and not listening to him. Because God, when people are hard-hearted, he won't always go after them like he did with Jonah. There's plenty of other stories where people turned away from God and he let them walk. But like I said, very few of us do that. Most of us are saying, God, if you want me to go, I'm ready. Just let me know, God, I'm ready. I'm re-. Oh, I'm not going. I want me to do this. I want me to do. I'll come to you. I want me to do this work. You want me to do that? Okay, I'll do that. Oh, it's been a few years. I've lost the call. Maybe I wasn't called. Seminar. Yes, I'm called. All right, God, I'm ready to go. No, not yet. What are we going to say, my friend? Let, let me get the mic so everyone can hear. Right, I'll let you do it. Otherwise, it's going to. I'll give feedback. We've got a mic so that people can hear. No, I just thought that was really interesting about, you know, um, being stirred, but also bringing in disobedience. Um, because my view on that, if you're in an account, and you're accountable and, and plugged into a local church and disobedience is there, then that would probably bring out other things and actually you would see your walkers. So I guess if people were walking faithfully, then... exactly. Um, so I know that's really probably really obvious, but no, but, not at all. but we are very much in the we've waited a while yeah. grip, so it sort of speaks to us. Good. So. No, thank you. thank you. No, I want this interaction. And again, I, I'm encouraging you with this. It sounds like I'm correcting. I'm not. You know, so often we can say, "Oh, it's obvious, isn't it?" No, it isn't. Not when you're living in the middle of it. And and often we think, "Oh, it's just me," or "It's obvious," or "Isn't it clear?" No, it isn't. For lots of it, we need this kind of mutual encouragement. Apart from when you've not turned your phone off. But you talked about accountability and being in a local church, so that's fine. <laughs> so, no, it is ex- exactly that. There are others around you, and God lets you know. I've seen people live with a call for years. Um, they weren't pushing to go all the time, um, but then it began to come to a surface. Uh, they had huge financial challenges in it. They had some work challenges in it. And within the space of less than a year, they went. But they'd lived with it for years. Now, they hadn't been pushing. They knew previously it was the wrong season. But then God began to raise it up again, came to the fore. They're actually in the church. I was a pastor of, so it was us who sent them. And I looked at it. I thought, oh, yeah, God's clearly on this. There's some big challenges. I don't know how, how long it's going to take to get through this. And then God just opened the door and n- numbers of miracles um, that got them into South Africa. Just phenomenal. One of the financial quick digression. This is why it will take two hours. Quick story. I love this. In terms of God giving you all the resources, the... Uh, Sikhs in the local uh, Gurdwara had an offering for them. They heard their story um, through links, uh, through children at school. They got to hear about this family that were going to go to South Africa, work in the townships, care for people suffering with AIDS, uh, various other things. They invited this couple in. So they told the Sikh congregation what they would be doing. They talked about Jesus. They didn't dress it up in charity. They talked. They said the, the gospel, this was it. And then the leader of the Gurdwara got up and said, well, we believe in this, don't we? We should get behind this. Passed the plates around and took an offering up for them. God will get you there. 
And it's all his money anyway. Come back to that. So, call grows, develops over time. God will let you know. Um, also, God calls all different kinds of people. Don't discount yourself if you think, well, I'm not a church planter. We don't need only church planters. We need doctors, school teachers. We need builders. Uh, we need children's workers. We, all kinds of people God calls to go. And if we're thinking, well, I, I'm not sure I'll call to plant a church. Good. Go anyway. Could we, honestly, I mean, who's going to be in the church? If we just send church planters, they have an awful lot of leaders and no one in them. We, we need people to go. And, and the kind of work I do, where you're landing in a place and you need that pioneering group, and, you, and you're there for a few years, and you can't necessarily do what you do here with a big public launch, because it's illegal. And you can't do lots of leafleting. You can't go down in the high street and let everyone, hey, it's a new church. What are you doing? You're arresting me. Oh, that didn't go well, did it? <laughs> you can't do that stuff. You need a core group. Well, what are that group going to do? They're going to get jobs. They're going to enter into the society. They're going to be part of the community. So please, in terms of skills, in terms of if some of you are making choices about uni or about careers, then praying about that, saying, God, what would help me get into another country? And even for those of us who may be going and doing more upfront ministry, you still need, for some countries, you still need what we call an entry strategy. How are you going to get in? Because you can't turn up at the border and say, I'm a missionary and I've come to tell you all about Jesus. What do you mean you won't let me in? If you turn up and say, oh, I'm a doctor, great, want doctors, and you come. And of course you tell people about Jesus. So people need skills anyway to get visas into places. So please don't be putting this through the filter today of ministry. We need all kinds of people with all kinds of skills to go. Just to put this one out there big time, we need business people, entrepreneurial business people who can look at a city, look at a community and think, yeah, we can start a business that does this. That will then make the work more self-supporting and less dependent on outside support. Um, we believe in sending people well um, and supporting them and giving to them. We use that model, but we also, to make it more sustainable, need business people. We'll say, well, my role will be I'll start a business and I'll use some of that money to finance what we're doing ministry-wise. And others who will start businesses to bless the community. It's not only about planting churches. If you want to work into places where there's poverty and, and oppression, then go in and do righteous business. That is just as much a spiritual battle. When it comes to issues of bribery or trying to get an inro, you're a foreigner, we don't, we don't want your business doing well. But then they understand why you're there. So many people who arrive in a place and doing language, particularly in parts of the world where I work, can everyone looks at them and think, well, you're either with the CIA, because you're driving quite a nice car, you haven't got a job, I don't see you go to an office anywhere, and you're just learning language all day. So you're either with the CIA or a missionary. And that's how you get labelled. If you turn up and you've got a job, or you turn up and you're working in a school, or you turn up and start an NGO, people get why you're here. Oh, you've come here to contribute. Oh, well, I'll talk to you. You're a contributor. You're taking part in my community and in my society. You're taking part in making my town a better place. So please don't put this simply through the filter of church planting. It isn't. It's through the skills that God has given you. you definitely. Can we run around with the... Can we keep this man fit? No, the mic's much easier. Everyone can get, get to here. Well, I, I don't particularly have a skill. I'm just a trained chef. I'm is that any use abroad? Yes. <laughs> Can I just add to that? Um, I grew up in Kenya for, for several years, and we had a student come over from New York, and she was the most city girl you've ever seen in the bush. But for uh, four hours a day, she went to a person that had been 
bed-bound and tiny little hut with no amenities. And she did physio with her. Very simple stuff. You know, move the knee up to here, move the arm here. Did that four hours a day, showed the parents how to do that, went back to New York. It's like she wasn't skilled, she, but she really benefited uh, that person in that situation. Did, did you say you're not skilled, you're just a trained chef? <laughs> Anyone a tra- trained chef? Yeah. Burn the toast? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, there's a... Uh, yeah, there is. Absolutely. And just uh, another point, and I'll come back to that, but I really want you to hear this first, and it's important other people hear this. Just a God moment in here for us. Don't say, I'm only A, or I'm just A. None of us are that. A heart willing to follow Jesus anywhere changes the world. That's what Jesus came for. That's what Jesus said. said to those first disciples, hey, leave your net. Come and catch men. Come and influence crowds. And we look at some of the journeys and some of the mistakes they made along the way. We kind of wonder if some of those disciples even make it through our joining the church course. I mean, some of the stuff they said, you know, as they go through a town, can we call fire down from heaven, Lord? No, that's not quite the approach we want. You can't do it. <laughs> Mum turns up. So which one of them is going to sit by your side, Jesus? You can, these are the people he can never say, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not this or I'm just this. I think there's a God moment in us for that. Because some of you are thinking that. For some of you, that's your biggest object. You're your biggest kind of thing that's in the way or stopping you. It's just how you view yourself. And you're kind of asking God to do a load of stuff. And what God is saying to you, will you just believe who you are? Just believe that I've called you. Just believe I can use your mouth, I can use your hands, I can use your skills. So that's for all of us, it's especially for you, but it's for all of us. In terms of a chef, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not saying this is what you should do, but you think of some of the, for example, one of the seminars this morning about refugees and refugees in England and what we can do as churches. All kinds of refugee places at the moment that need people to cook and, and to run teams. And, and to train people to cook. Um, and that would be an interesting one. There are one of our churches in Turkey is inundated with refugees. Um, and uh, they could, someone could go there and teach them how to cook. Or how to cook Western food. Because they're gonna, the UN will move them on after three years to the West. And, and who's going to teach them? That's just something I've just thought of off the top of my head. I haven't, I'm not saying that's an opening. But, it, but it's that. But honestly, it is that there will be all kinds of needs. Um, and interestingly, you know, even in terms of some of these places, you know, people do actually want to learn because if they're getting more international in some parts of the world, depending on where God took you, people do want to learn how to cook our way. So there's, there's a need there as well because that's how globalized the world is. I'm going to move this on with another story. Before I do, any more? That's where interactive. And I've looked at the clock. Oh, it's the best place for it. I can stop looking at it. <laughs> Heather's telling me I need to look at it. Time's going. Um, but, but I want to make sure I get through everything and serve you well. Any more questions around the whole thing of call or if God this, what about this? Any, anything else around call before I move us on? Yeah, at the back. So I, I just... Yeah, I know, beautiful. Uh, I, I've just uh, uh, finished um, some training in, in theology, 
it's not exactly a practical skill. Um, so, but, but like, like you said, it's uh, when you're going out and you're planting, whether it is in the, the UK or abroad, more so probably abroad, um, you're more accepted into the community when you have a transferable skill. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what would <laughs> what that look Depending on what your qualification is, what your study is, you could probably teach. Um, so there, there's, again, it depends what your gift mix is, but lots of people who have done studies in theology have ended up teaching. Um, in many parts of the world, you know, there are uh, theological colleges. And in even one of the places that I've told a story from, there's a theological college there, um, which has been there years. So actually, you, you, there's no reason why uh, in many cities of the world, you can actually get a job teaching theology or coaching people who are studying it um, at the local university or even at the Bible college. In many places across nations in Africa, there are Bible colleges. Um, in parts of the Middle East, where there's been a Christian population for years, there are Bible colleges. So the theological uh, training you've had could open that door, if I'm answering what you're, what you're asking. So, yeah, it definitely could. I'll move us on. Another story from the Middle East. Um, as we just mentioned, Bible colleges in the Middle East reminds me of my friend a little while ago looking to buy a car, a different person this time, looking to buy a car. And you, you read the ads and, and everything else, sometimes in the paper, sometimes on public building walls. Anyway, he finds one and uh, negotiates the deal, over, has a look at it, negotiates the deal. What you do to change ownership if you don't complete a form and send it off to a government office, you go to the government office with the person you're buying it from, do all the paperwork in the office, queue for hours to see the right person, and eventually it's done. So it doesn't get posted, you just go to the office, which normally takes a day to change the forms. So they get chatting, and uh, the person, um, Muslim country, uh, who he's buying the car from, uh, they start chatting, ask each other's names. My friend says... Uh, his name, which is a Bible name, and uh, the man who's selling the car says, oh, that's a Bible name. The friend thinks, why would he say that? It's not a normal comment he'd expect. And then makes a comment about that person from the Bible. And my friend's spiritual antenna are up at this point. And this is unusual to be asked more about this. And, and then the man says, so are you yourself a, a Christian then? Uh, this is the man selling the car. Ask my friend this. And if so, and do you worship? So my friend explains, yes, he is. Um, he doesn't go to, again, there were churches in this nation for Christians and for Westerners, but not for local Muslims. It's illegal to convert. My friend explains he doesn't go to those churches, not because there's a problem, but because actually you can worship God anywhere. And you don't have to go to build a special building to worship God, which, of course, um, would contrast with the, the mosque, etc., etc. So my friend explains, we, can, we worship God wherever. We often meet in someone's house and worship this person's really interested and asks more questions. My friend then turns to him and says, what about you? What's your faith? Now, normally you'd expect one answer, because um, there is only one answer in that country. Um, but this person kind of looks around, makes sure no one's listening, and says, well, my ID card says Muslim, and in my heart I follow Jesus. And so they get chatting a little bit more. They agree to meet up for coffee a little bit later. It's not so public. Here's the story that transpires. A few years beforehand, this Muslim man had been working in the south of the country uh, with his job, traveling down a week at a time. He's sharing accommodation with a Christian background person, so someone who's from the Christian minority in that country, but was also a genuine Christian. 
they knew Jesus. They weren't just Christian because they weren't Muslim, they were genuinely Christian. And they would lie in their beds at night having arguments about faith and about the prophets. And then the light would go off, this man, Muslim man, would fall to sleep, and Jesus spoke to him. And he said this to him, clear as anything. You won the argument. Well done. You're wrong. That was the end of the dream. You knew it was Jesus. He saw Jesus, saw this man who he had enough knowledge to know this, this was Jesus. And then a couple of nights later, they'd have another argument. And exactly, this is this man's testimony. He would say this if he was here today. Same thing happened. He said, and I'll argue again. And Jesus would appear to me and say to me, you won the argument, but you're wrong. It kept happening. So in the end, I started to say to Jesus when I woke up, well, show me why I'm right. Show me why I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, why am I wrong? And as he began to ask, so Jesus began to explain things through the dreams, and eventually this man became a believer. Jesus is working. A friend of mine that's got to Russia this time, he's working in the south of Russia, where there's many Muslim peoples. One of the people from the villages, he didn't know, know them, a couple went to St. Petersburg with work. Um, while this lady, who was very religious, was asleep, she had a dream of Jesus. This dream was a little bit different. Because it wasn't simply a simple dream about believing in me or putting your hope in me or something like that. He gave her, in this dream, a full overview of what we would understand to be kind of like the whole story of the gospel. So from Adam and Eve right the way through to the coming of Jesus, the whole kind of counsel of God. So that when she woke up in the morning... It wasn't a question of going to find out more information. She had everything. She was changed. She knew she believed in Jesus. She knew that he was the true Messiah. She knew how that fitted in with Muhammad, and she was totally, totally clear. And she knew that she had to be baptized. This was all in a dream. So she goes to the Orthodox Church a little bit, a few days later, and says, I'm now a Christian. Here's my background. I'm a Christian. I must be baptized. And the priest said, well, we have some lessons that we teach people first particularly with your background. I'm, I'm very happy to baptize you. We do do that, people from your background. But I need to make sure you fully understood. I need to make sure you fully understand what it means to be a member of the Orthodox Church. Because that was the only church she knew of. That was the only place she could go. So she begins to tell the priest what she believes and what she learnt in her dream. And the priest says, you don't need our lessons. We'll baptize you. Meanwhile, her husband is praying in the mosque. As he's praying, as he's bowing, he is suddenly overwhelmed with a sense of emptiness and futility and finds himself in mid-bow thinking, why am I doing this? This doesn't mean anything. This never gets us anywhere. What is happening? I don't believe any of this is true. He goes home, says to his wife what had happened. She tells him, because she had been scared to, what's happened to her. They're both believers. They return to the village where they're from and close to the city where my friend's working. And they find him because he passes a church. And they're now going around the villages telling people about Jesus, baptizing people. Jesus is working. There's no country that is closed. There's no place that is too dark. There's no place that is too violent. There's no place that is too oppressive. But if you think about it, the Jesus that you and I worship and follow, that's where he likes to live. He lives in the darkest of places. He lives in the places where there is injustice and where there is poverty. One of the things that some of us need to shake ourselves out of is our rather mediocre middle-class Christianity that we go to from week by week and find fulfilling most of the time. But actually, of course, Jesus is there, and of course he loves us, and of course he'll bless us, and of course he'll answer our prayers. But he wants us to hear his voice calling us to the places where there's poverty and injustice, and where, humanly speaking, there is no hope, because he came to bring hope. 
what are some of the next steps in your call? <clears throat> so if you're feeling called or stirred about another place, go and visit, if you've not done so already. Practical as that. Go and visit. <clears throat> Jump on the train, get a ferry, whatever it is you've got to do, and visit. Um, if you don't know someone that's there already, I'm mean, obviously make sure I'll come onto this in a minute in terms of talking with, with, it, with people, letting people know what you're doing. Um, but just go for a weekend. Um, check it out. Walk around. God, do you want me living here? Can I eat the food? Do I like it? This is a nice place. Will I be happy when I wake up in the morning? They're just simple, practical questions. Yes, God calls us to sacrifice. I'll land on that before we finish. But he also wants you to know joy on the journey. He doesn't want to call you to a place where every morning you'll wake up, look out the window and think, I hate it here. <laughs> but people need to know about Jesus, so off we go. And your prayer letters are full of, oh, it's really difficult here. The streets are so filthy. The traffic is horrible. I can never sleep at night because it's really, really loud. But Jesus has called me. Please pray for me. You're doing something wrong. Yes, there's sacrifice. My uh, eldest boy, uh, he's just landed in Istanbul. He's, God called him to Turkey when he was 14. And nine years later, he's just landed. He feels called to the east, to the Kurdish people, um, but it's pretty difficult over there at the moment. So he can't go there, but he's landed to do language for a while. And uh, <coughs> I've totally forgotten the point I was going to make. Um, and uh, it is difficult. It's hard. He's into language learning and, and all of that stuff. But he knows God's called him. He knows that God wants him there. It's, it's a place that he knows he can live and, and get on with. Um, I know the point I was going to make. Um, and yeah, there's sacrifice. And we've been talking to him even this week about some of the stuff that's been going wrong. Um, but he knows it's always meant to be. And there's joy there. And he's always got another story of something which God has done. So that's what God wants it to be like for us. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, there'll be pain. Yeah, you'll miss people. And who knows what other challenges you could have. But God wants you to know him and know his presence and know joy in it. So go there and see if you can live there. And see if you like the food. See if you can walk around and your heart is still excited. You'd seen it on telly or you'd heard people talk about that people group or you'd met a church leader and you thought, I'll go and visit the church. Um, this stuff's really practical. Jesus is like that. Could you live here? Could you see yourself settling in the place? So go and visit and, and walk around and pray and ask those questions and expect God to talk to you. In terms of how your call grows and develops and how do you know you're called, take a step forward and see what God does. Sitting in a room, doing nothing. Yeah, God can speak, but he finds it much easier if we're moving. Much easier if we're saying, God, I think you've said this. Shall I do this? And God says, yeah, that's great, thank you. Or God says, no, don't quite do that. Do this instead. A friend of mine, this was a story I meant to say on the call, but it's just come back to me. They felt God was calling them to a uh, part of West Africa. So they were there in that country. They prayed about it. They talked it through with people. They were making another visit to check this out to see if they could land there as a family. And whilst they were there, through a powerful prophetic word, God told them to go to the Far East. Ended up in Asia. So when I mentioned earlier about how God can change your call, and I said I'd come back to it, he'll do it as you go. So if you'd have met them at the airport when they were flying to West Africa, they'd have said, we think we'll be here, I don't know, maybe a year or two. We're going to check it out. We're going to look at where we can live. We know this is where God wants us. They flew back knowing that God wanted them in the Far East. And they've planted the church there since. Why? Because they're on the move. God, I think you've said this. So I'll go and have a look. Oh, you're not saying this. You're saying this. But you never would have got there unless you went there first. Does that make sense? So you think, God, how do, I, how do I know you want me to go from A to B? Do you really want me to go to, go to, go to B? 
You've got, once you're in C, D, E, F, or even Z, he'll get you there. But he might not want to get you there from A, because he wants you moving, wants you going. So go and have a look. Go and check it out. Go and see what it's like. Um, read. Find out more. Read about the culture. Talk to people that have been there. Um, the kingdom of God is a lot bigger than our group of churches. There'll be others who you can connect with and ask questions about and find out about the church scene or about the language or find out, in all seriousness, come back to your comment, you know, other opportunities for trained chefs, other opportunities for theology, other opportunities here. Go and look. Don't expect Angel Gabriel to turn up and prophesy over you. Go and look. Go and invest some money. Check it out. Make sure, in terms of keeping this practical, talk to people around you, trusted Christians, your excellent point. If you're in a local church and you're accountable, you've got good relationships with leaders, that means you're in a safe place. Use them. Talk to them. Begin to vocalize your call. It does you good to start talking about it. Sometimes, and I, this happens to me, and it's happened to me over the years, you think, I don't want to say it because it sounds, how do I know if I'm right? Or what if I'm wrong? Or I'm going to look so silly. Really? That's silly? No, you're not. No one's going to remember. Start talking about it because what you will find, if God's on it, is faith will come. Because it stops being something in your head, being spoken out of your mouth. And also, other people need to be able to pray for you, support you, and keep you on track. So talk to trusted friends. When you're ready, particularly if you're thinking of making a trip or connecting with someone involved in ministry, make sure leaders know. And just be being open and accountable um, in that. Give yourself to prayer. Pray for that ministry that you want to be involved in, or that place, or that people group. Pray, pray, pray. Tell your Heavenly Father. Talk to him about your questions. Pray this whole thing through. It's not time. I thought about taking this out of the whole story of Abraham. There simply isn't time. Look at what God told Abraham to do. And we'll come back to this before we finish. There's that word finish again. Goodness. Um, he, he said to Abraham, go to a land I will show you. You guys want to know where you're going to live. You want to know what the city is. You know what church you're going to go to. You know what ministry you're going to do. All Abraham got was go to a land I will show you. Leave your father's household, your family, um, and your land. And I'll show you where it is. Imagine a conversation with his missus. And that wouldn't have gone well, would it? Sarah, I, um, I met God today. Sorry, Abraham. First thing she would have said, this isn't in my notes, this is awful. First thing she would have said is which God? Because they had many gods at that time. See, we think that bit would have been easy. But remember, there were lots of gods. They didn't have the Bible then. It wasn't all written. Abraham's story was part of the early bit. It hadn't been written yet. Abraham is the Bible at that point. This is what's going on. So you wouldn't be able to go, oh, the God of the Bible. Or the God who made Adam and Eve. He didn't know Adam. don't know if he had these stories. I have no idea how he knew. God clearly made it known to him that it was the God. It was the creator God. It was that God. The only God. So he goes home and tells his wife, I've met God. What did God say, Abraham? Sure you've not got some stroke? Sure you're okay? Sit down, have a drink. What did he say? Where to leave? Leave what, Abraham? Everything. Our livelihood, our family, the land, everything we know, everything we are. And what do we get? Well, he'll show us as we go. I mean, that was the conversation. That's what happened. And Abraham went. And we know the rest of the story. He's held up as a hero's faith through the scriptures because he obeyed God and went. So, give yourself to prayer, give yourself to looking, give yourself to reading and understanding, talk to other people in leadership and other friends you trust. Next steps, staying with that. Preparing, points of training. So if you're going to go to another place, 
And this is one of the reasons for the cards, because the guys here, the team here, want to make sure they can plug you in the, this. Don't underestimate the importance of getting some training, um, particularly in terms of how to adapt to another culture. Even if you go to a, a city where English is going to be spoken, the culture will be different. I've known people uh, go to Australia and find it challenging with the culture. They didn't think they needed any training or preparation. They think, well, they all speak English, and it's a pretty cool place down there. And they're always beating us at sport, so of course we're going to be fine. And actually, the culture impacted them. And one of the, I haven't got time to unpack this, but don't underestimate the differences that there are in cultures. And some of you from other nations, you're, you're beginning this. And you're from, you from Mexico, my friend? Latin America, yeah? So we could, if there was time and there isn't, but we could ask you to speak for the next 20 minutes easily on the funny habits that the English people have. Um, in fact, let, let's, let's do some. Um, our friend in the blue shirt, quickly. You don't need the microphone. I'll keep the mic. <laughs> so yeah, put, put the mic down, because it's going to be a little bit active. So one of the things, um, if we were to greet one another as English people, first time I've met you, would it is actually. My name's Andy. Hi, nice to meet you. What's David. your name? I'm David. David, good to meet you, David. Um, notice personal space. We want to keep a distance here. Next time I see David, particularly at an event like this, David, good to see you, man. How are you? You yeah. okay? <laughs> Notice it's the sideways hug. That's what we've adapted to these days. Some time back, in a generation before most of yours, it was a full-on hug. But we don't do that anymore, particularly now if you're a little bit more hipster. We just want the sideways hug. But notice the step back. This would not happen in Latin America or Mexico, the step back, where people are very happy to talk to you like this and to be face-to-face. And how are they? It's true. And even be doing this, David, it's so good to see you, my friend. It's been so, so long. And most English people kind of, thank you very much. And when you've got people that talk to you like that, how many of us do just step back? And we go on a little journey, don't we? And you just, exactly. Now, if a greeting from the part of the world that I go to in the Middle East, hospitality and welcome is huge. And friendships bring a huge amount of collateral. So now, if David was a guest, and I was receiving, I'm in the Middle East, and I'm Middle Eastern, and I'm receiving him, and he's being introduced to me, I've never met him before, he's being introduced to me by a good friend who I trust and know, I will greet David the same way that I will greet my good friend. That's the culture. That's what you do. I mean, here... Well, give us a kiss. I, I will. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I will. You know, here... If it, Dave's a good friend, I'll embrace him. And if I've never met before, I'll shake their hand. We have different greetings. Not in the Middle East. So if I was greeting him in the Middle East, oh, welcome, my friend. Thank you so much. So good to see you. Most English people at that point, why did this man just kiss me? And in that moment, don't get too hard about this, because people know you're a guest. They'll know you'll make mistakes. In that moment, you just cause an offense. Because the best thing you can do is to respond back. And not go, oh. And what they'll do in some cultures, and it will definitely be like this where you're from, is if he's a guest, and I want to, in fact, it'll be the right, and I want to make sure he's safe, and I'm taking him downtown, and I will hold his hand as we go downtown, because I want to look after him. One of my friends who worked in the Far East, he was doing language lessons. He's about six foot two. His language teacher is a lot shorter than him. And he would take him out for lunch after during the language and say, Mr. Steve, we go get lunch now. Come with me, Mr. Steve. And they would walk through this busy, bustling city, holding hands. And the Middle East, where I'll go, you will see grown men holding hands. It's what they just friendship. They're brothers. What's the problem? You'll see Turks linked arm in arm walking down the road, all ages, people in their 20s. 
and they're walking and they're chatting. And even now, some of you are watching this thinking, it's just weird. (laughs) Two men in our culture, all the sexuality issues and everything else that comes up. Uh, Most English people, I mean, he said he's been in Africa, so he's a bit more relaxed. But his palm is still getting sweaty at this point. (laughs) Because it just isn't natural. But the whole thing of close contact and talking, and he's a good friend, and we love one. And it's true, some of this, where you're from, isn't it? The closeness. Not, not so much this. No, not so much that. Yeah, more like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm. These are all cultural things. I'm having a bit of fun because time's going. Um, but it's important lessons for us. Because if you can't learn to stand and hold someone's hand for a while and be relaxed... For the sake of recording, I'm just grateful that this isn't on video. Um, <laughs> you can cause an offence. And you walk into someone's house, and is it shoes off or is it shoes on? And do I look at the woman in the eye or don't I look at the woman in the eye? And the man gave me a hug, and how do I greet the woman? And if you're not ready and not asking those questions, you don't have to get it right. This is really important. But if you're not asking the question, they'll notice. People in a lot of the parts of the world, particularly the non-West, are really good at reading emotion. And I think you, my friend, sorry to use this example, but it's so good you're here. We're so good at reading someone's emotion and, their f- and what's going on in their heart through their eyes. And I've learnt this over the years, that people, particularly from the East, and I think it will be true from other parts of the world too, can understand what's happening in our heart by looking at our faces. And they know if we're relaxed, or they know if we're proud, or they know if we think, this is weird. <laughs> what a daft culture. And I know Jesus has called me here because he loves you and, you know, one day I'll see you saved. But this is just weird. I don't get this culture. Why can't people be like us? We've got it so right in England. And it's the whole empire thing coming back. And some of us whiteies, we think we've got rid of the colonial thing, but actually we haven't. And you read, I'm getting passionate now, you read some of our news stories and some of the ways that we write about some of the things going on in the world and it makes me so cross. Of course they're not going to do that. Why should they? They're not English. And what right have we got to tell people it's the right way to do it? Since when were we right in the first place? We're not. It's not a question of being right. It's a question of understanding the culture, understanding the costume, understanding the values, understanding the customs, and what's behind all of that. You all right? Yeah. feel like we're getting close. You can sit down. Thank you so much. Take the mic. A bit of fun. A bit of fun. Just with simple greetings. But don't underestimate the importance of culture and how culture works and the customs. And like I said, what God is after, you know, Jesus was going to send his disciples into all the earth. He didn't kind of take them through a whole load of anthropology and cultural stuff and social sciences. He taught them about laying their life down, sacrifice and humility. And that attitude counts for everything. So we don't arrive in a place thinking, hey, Jesus has called me and we're going to see a church here. Come on, right? Those are my first converts. Come on, oh, you look like a good convert. Wrong. We arrive, what's your story? How do things work? Tell me about your family. I'm new, I don't know how things, is it okay to sit here or should I sit there? Because in some houses you go in, you don't want to sit in the wrong place. I had a friend come to our house, he was from Turkey. Uh, we had a, someone visit, I was leading a church, someone else had been preaching that morning and uh, suddenly realized he wasn't, we just had lunch together, suddenly realized he wasn't in the room with us. And I thought, I know what's going on. Two pastors, one of which is his host, he doesn't feel able to come in. So I went to get him. And as I brought him into the room, I suddenly realized there was a problem. Because the couples were sitting on sofas. The only other chair was a wooden kind of rocking chair, which was higher than the sofas. Oh, he's not going to want to sit there. Because that seat is higher than where the pastors are sitting. 
Not that I call myself pastor, but he would, because it's an honour, and that's what I am. So it means it doesn't mean in a title way, it means it from an honourable point of view. So I said to my friend, please come in, we want you in, this isn't a meeting, we're just chilling and chatting, and you must come and join in. And as I walked in, I thought, oh, where's he going to sit? I said, please sit here, it's not a special chair, it's fine, I'd love you to sit there. So he sat there, within less than three minutes, he was sitting cross-legged on the floor. It's an issue of conscience. It, why? Is it that big a deal? Yeah, for him, yeah. He can't sit in a seat higher than a guy who's older than him uh, and who's his host and who's also a pastor. So he's on the floor. Now, if I'd have pushed that, I'd have given him a crisis of conscience. Does that make sense? So there's loads more we could say on this, but we do. We run workshops on this. We have some online stuff we're putting together. We can train you and, and get you equipped in terms of uh, going. So next steps. Preparation, training, understanding culture, visiting the place, learning from other people who have been there. Um, language learning, if you're going to go somewhere and you need to learn another language, you need to give that some thought in terms of how that would happen. People say, should we learn language before we go? You'll learn it a lot quicker when you land. Unless you're good at languages and have learnt languages already, then yeah, definitely going to language lessons here will give you a head start. But most of the time, once you're immersed in that culture, it will come a lot quicker. still hard, but it will come quicker because you're hearing it all the time. And you can talk to people and you're shopping in that language and everything else. Um, so get trained. Um, some theology training, you know, what you said. Um, I think anyone who goes and, uh, with an intention of church planting or ministering to a group of people, albeit children, albeit people in poverty, whatever, some basic theological training is helpful. We need to know what the gospel is and what it looks like, especially if we're going to see it planted into another culture. And you'll get asked all kinds of questions along the journey um, that some training will help you with. So some theological training, some training on how to handle another culture, um, and then lessons from other people who have done it to help you with the practical things. How does money work? What do you do about a house? Do you buy? Do you rent? For those who've got children, what do you do about education? Do we put them in the local school? Do we put them in the national school? Do we homeschool? There's no right answer. Um, any one of those is good. Um, but we can help you through that or put you in touch with others who've been on that journey. So practical skills, practical things, asking others who have gone to get an idea of how all of that works. Tax, pension, all of that stuff, which you'll be very pleased to know at 320 I'm not going to be getting into. But I'm flagging because these are all things that you need to be aware of and so that we can help. Um, and we've got some experience in all of this. Most of all, grow and develop your walk with God. Because I think I've sat for an hour and 20 minutes listening. Well, it's been less than that because I started late. But I've sat and listened to you for over an hour. You know, tell me what I've got to do is grow my walk with God? Yes. I've seen people travel to another culture who have got expertise in that culture, who have spent time learning and understanding that culture, and have got skills that help them get into that culture, who then had to come home because their spiritual foundation wasn't strong enough. And when you go to another culture, you're thinking, well, I'm in my call. God is with me. I've waited years for this. Now God's going to do it. It doesn't work like that. Anything that can be a crack, anything that can be like a small pressure point will get magnified when you're in another setting. That's not to scare you. It's just to say be diligent in making sure your character, making sure marriage, making sure family. That You know what you said about accountability again, that there's others who are helping shape you in that. Because that's what the enemy will use to bring you down. And you can have all the knowledge in the world about a culture or a language or what the strategy is or to be the best doctor working in that hospital or the best teacher or whatever else it is you're going to do. 
But if you don't know how to draw on God when it's tough, you don't know how to keep yourself pure when temptation comes and you're on your own, you don't know how to open up the word and you've not been in a church meeting for weeks because there isn't a church to go to because that's what Jesus called you to go there for and get stuff out of his word when it's just you and Jesus, then you'll find it pretty hard to stay there long term. So work on that stuff now. I would say it's more effort into that than what it is into all the culture, expertise, and strategies. That makes sense. Um, And I've been doing this for a while, so it's not just me making a spiritual answer or making a holy point. I've seen people who've had the other stuff in place, but then it's this that has caused them to backtrack or have to retreat because there were some foundational things that weren't there. Learn, and we take so much for granted. You know, we can walk into a church every week, we've got small groups, we can worship with 50, 60, 70, 80 people. And in some places where some of you all go, that won't be there. And I think any of us would just be amazed at how dependent we realize we are on the bigger setting. And actually how much of our walk with God is just us, on our own, digging into his word, talking with him, praying through areas in our heart that we're finding hard. Do that now. Your life will not be any different somewhere else. The stuff you do here is the stuff you will do there. You will not reach more people for Jesus somewhere else than what you do here. Again, people often, some, no, not often, sometimes I can come across that. Of course, when I'm there, I better do this and this and God will use me in this. Is he using you in that here? No. But it will happen when I'm there. Well, hang on, it needs to happen here. Um, so put uh, emphasis on those things get to know other cultures here if you're thinking of going cross-culturally are there people in our cities from that culture are you already kind of building friendships with people who aren't like you here learn to do that if you're not again many of us end up hanging out with people just like us who work in similar places got similar music, similar sport and like similar worship songs be intentional as part of your training to get to know people who aren't like you in your city or in your town Wander around a housing estate full of people that you don't know and try and get to know them or go into a pub with a completely different demographic and sit there for a while and see what it's like. I think, how do I start a conversation here? You don't have to start a ministry to do that, but start to stretch yourself. Does that get yourself out of your comfort zone now? Do that. Go to places. If there are some of the cities and towns you're from, areas which are of a particular demographic or nationality, then, then walk down those streets. Pray. Get to know people. Um, go into restaurants you wouldn't normally go into. Eat their food. It's a lot of fun. Um, but stretch yourself now. Put some of those practical things in place. Most of all, this will grow your faith, which is faith what's needed if you're going to finish the journey. It will grow your faith. Abraham is held up as a hero of faith because he obeyed God and went. It's faith that gets us to other nations. Plane tickets, strategy, culture, all of that stuff will help. In the end, it's faith. It's people who hear God and say, okay, God, you, you, I think you want me over there? Well, I'll begin to go. And faith grows and faith develops. And Jesus said, faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Every one of you are in the room because you've got faith of a mustard seed. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You've got plenty of better things you've done this afternoon. But you've got faith. And that will take you. Think of some of the people who, when I was, how I first got involved in the ministry that I'm doing, some of the first people that we sent. And they hadn't led a church, and they hadn't, uh, he'd he'd led worship a bit, and they hadn't led a small group. um, And then they have been in the nation that they're in now for 17, 18 years. 
and have been involved in planting more than one church, are fluent in the language, and they're real heroes of mine. And they took their two children with them and raised their kids, and the kids are going on with God. And I look at them and think, what do they have? You know, when people look at them and say, well, was he a great church planter? Was he a great leader? And all the kind of things which some leaders would kind of look for. And I think that some of that stuff's there, but that's not what's got them to persevere for almost 20 years. Now, they won't come home now. They love it. That is their home where they're living. It's fantastic. It's faith. It's just faith. They've been through huge things. There was an earthquake within six months of them landing. Three o'clock in the morning, the wardrobe fell down. They'd spend the next few nights sleeping outside. Um, their kids, one of them wouldn't settle in school to start with. Just really, really difficult. Um, their team fell apart. It was a joint venture with another organization. All kinds of things. And yet they're faithfully there speaking the language, planting churches, and will be there for the rest of their lives. What got them there? Faith. One final thing, then I'm going to stop. One of the paradigms I think we need to shift more into is the whole area of sacrifice and laying things down. For years, I've heard lots of teaching about how you experience God's blessing about how to walk in the fullness of God's promises and strategies for churches to do the same and how churches can know blessing and churches can grow and churches can experience more of God. And of course, much of it's good. Much of it we do need to hear. But I've never, and I'm an old man now, I've never in all my years heard anyone in terms of how to enter into blessing, how to experience the fullness of God, how to be secure in your identity, how to know his love and all of that stuff. I've never heard anyone give the answer of what God told Abraham God told Abraham to leave that's how we know the blessing God told Abraham to go God told Abraham to lay everything down God told Abraham to leave everything he was secure and everything he knew, family, land well-being, and that's how we know the blessing and I don't hear very many leaders say you want to know the fullness of God's blessing you want to know the fullness of intimacy with God you want to know the, his power you want to know a church full of that leave, go because that's what he told Abraham to do the gospel primarily is a call to leave whether it's Abraham, whether it's Jonah whether it was Peter in Acts chapter 10 going to Cornelius whether it's Paul or whether it was Jesus himself who being in very nature who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but left heaven and entered into this sin forsaken, dark, unrighteous place and made himself low even to the point of death. Why? Because he loves us. Because he didn't want his creation broken. He wanted it rescued. So he left. And he calls us to do the same. Jesus calls us to sacrifice first and foremost, not wholeness. Wholeness and blessing is to be known. Of course he wants you whole. Of course he wants you healed. Of course he wants you knowing intimacy, knowing that he's your father, knowing nothing can separate you from his love. Of course he wants you in a place where fear doesn't rule you, where anxiety doesn't keep you awake at night, where you're not concerned about what will happen for your children's well-being. Of course he wants to bring security to you. But the root to that is sacrifice. Wholeness will come on the journey, and full wholeness won't come until he comes again. So don't wait until you're whole. Don't wait until you're healed. Don't wait until you're an expert. Don't wait until you've got a certain level of anointing. If God is calling, go. And he will be with you. And healing and wholeness will come 
and you will know his blessing. Let's pray. Holy Spirit's here. I'm going to pray for a moment. Then I'll open it up for any more questions and then we'll close. Holy Spirit, just sense you now. And uh, I don't know that we're finished on all the practical stuff, but there's time for that. We'll do that over a cup of tea. But Lord, we always want to be sensitive to you rushing in. Jesus, you're calling people. That's why they're in the room. Well, some people are feeling even closer to going what they were before. Others uh, now know what questions they need to ask. So wherever we are on the spectrum, I pray you bring faith now. Bring faith. Jesus, I, I pray. I'm just going to pray through some specific things. If this is you, respond. Don't hands up. We don't need to do prayer ministry, but please respond to Jesus. Well, if what I just said then and what we touched on earlier about people disqualifying themselves because they don't feel whole or what we said earlier about but I'm only A or I'm just this Lord if that is what someone's confession has been if they've written themselves off or thought well I'll go to the seminar but I don't know that God could use me or I don't know that I could get there Jesus just take away that rubbish and bring faith now that a willing heart obedient to you can do anything because that's all you ask for And it's not about us changing the world or changing a city or changing a nation. It's about us obeying you. You do the changing. You do the rescuing. You build the church, not us. All you ask is that we are obedient. So, Lord, I pray for any here that are here, for those here who have been disqualifying themselves. I pray for some who have been thinking, well, at my age, is there any point in going? Lord, just cut that one down in your name and pray that faith would come. Pray for faith, Lord, that people that came here doubting would leave with faith, please. Jesus, I pray for those who, just a few, I think, who have got some big other challenges going on right now. And and underneath that, they believe you're calling them, but right now, other stuff is messy. Challenges in family, challenges in work, and, and they're longing for you to sort some things. Lord, come to them and help them. Come to them and help them, Lord. Lord, give them peace. Give them your shalom, your wholeness, your well-being, Lord, for that situation. Lord, bring your comfort to them, even this weekend. Lord, some I'd sense have come here hurting, and they want to go. They, They believe you're calling, but there's pain in their heart. Lord, bring healing about that specific pain, please. Bring healing. Bring wholeness, Lord, as they even came into this seminar trying to obey you. As you said to Abraham, leave and I will bless. Lord, bless them now. Bless them now, Lord, as they seek to pursue you. Bless them, please. Some here, Lord, just weighing up, but what about family? What about mum? What about dad? What about this situation? Lord, I don't know the answer to that. Different for everybody, but you do. Lord, bring clarity even this weekend. Well, what's the timing? Should they go now? Should they wait? What does it mean for them to honour you and also honour their parents? Lord, help them speak into that situation, I pray. Some of you, I I saw it, I saw it in some of your faces, some of you are emotional. 
But whenever I started talking about justice and talking about Jesus going to the broken places, some of you know that's where Jesus wants you. I saw it. So this one's for you. Jesus, for those whose heart is stirred, for the broken, for the hopeless, for where you aren't known, speak to them, Lord, where you are. Give them what they need this weekend. Speak to them, Jesus. Come to them, I pray. You are already. You, you be responding. Ask God to help you. He's calling you. Lord, help them. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, keep breaking their hearts, Jesus. You looked at Jerusalem and you wept because you knew what was coming. You knew what they were going to do to you and you knew what would happen when Rome sacked it. Jesus, for some of us, we look at situations and we hear stories of brokenness and our hearts break. So often we feel helpless and think, what are we doing and what's the church doing? How can we be at a weekend like this and yet there's all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of injustice in the world? But Jesus, you've called us to love. You've called us to pray. And I pray for people in this room, Lord, speak to them this weekend about what you want them to do. Why are you stirring their hearts like this? What's the next step for them? Make it clear, Lord. Make it clear. Lord, for some, it's going on a plane. For others, it's decisions about careers. For others, it's simply to get on their face and pray. But Lord, speak to us, because it's you stirring our hearts. It's you causing us to cry out for justice and to cry out for hope. Just feel prompted to say this for those of you in your 20s. Jesus wants you to go. Wants you to go. Wants you to go. You came into the seminar thinking, how do I know I'm called? That's what the seminar's called. It's quite handy, that. Keep it nice and easy. It's not complicated. Jesus wants you to go. I'll say something else in a minute. It's just a little bit more the Holy Spirit wants to do with that. Jesus wants you to go. Calling you. You don't need anything else. Yeah, you need to know where and when and everything, but right now, he's looking for that yes. He's looking for that yes, that obedience. He'll show you. It's a bit like Abraham. Go. And I'll show you. Holy Spirit, well, that's you, water the seed. Water it this weekend. May it grow, may it produce fruit. If it's not from you, we don't want it. We're not interested. Last thing we want, Jesus, is our enthusiasm, me getting passionate and a few people thinking it's a good idea. We're not interested in that, Lord. There's plenty of other organisations that do that. What we are interested in is your call, your voice, your leading, and you giving faith. So here's my qualifier for those in your 20s. For some of you, if if I've got this right, and I might not have done, that's okay, God's in charge. I think for some of you that that really landed and you really needed to hear that. For others of you, it felt like a pressure. If it felt like a pressure, it wasn't for you, that's fine. But I needed to do it that way around, if that made sense. I I felt the Holy Spirit say, just declare it, let it land for a bit. So for some of you, if it landed, if your heart resonated, if you knew that was God, then pursue it. If it didn't, then it wasn't for you. And I I felt that before. I wasn't going to qualify that because it would take all the power out of it. That makes sense. If you're sitting there thinking, well, Andy, appreciate your passion, but that that didn't move me. Honestly, it's fine. It wasn't Jesus. But others it did move. Others it spoke to. 
Don't forget, particularly if God's talking to you, please fill out a response form. I can't follow all this up. There's other people here who can, and they need to know your names, and need to know what you're interested in, so grab one of those forms. But a couple more minutes, I'll hang around so people can do one-on-one stuff if you want to. Any other questions, anything burning that you hoped you were going to hear, and this has been rubbish and you've not heard it. And if people need to leave, feel free to leave. I'm just going to do this for a couple of minutes. I'll wrap it up there, there, and there. And if anyone over this side wants to even it up, you can. Thanks, Andy. Just a quick question. Um, Any thoughts on families who move overseas and the age of kids and ages that tend to maybe be easier or less easier and how how important you'd say that is or isn't? Good question. It depends on where you're going and how much of a change it is from current setting. So if it's a huge change and could involve a different language, generally speaking, the younger children are, the easier they'll make the move. Now, I've got a few stories. In fact, the friends I was holding up as heroes just now, you know, there were parts of, of their journey initially. It didn't look any easier. They kind of quote the statistic. What do you mean it's easier at this age? Look at him. <laughs> but the reality is that passed and they were fine. So the general experience over years of doing this, and other organizations would back this up, the younger they are, the easier it is. But again, God speaks into that. And I think people going to other settings where English can still be spoken, um, yes, there's still cultural issues, but there's not the language issue. Subject to where they're up to in their education, and again, with online stuff and everything else, you know, kids can go when they're 14 and then do their two years GCSEs overseas. And with international schools can do that. So there isn't actually a limit, but it is affected by how much of a difference it makes. The bigger the difference, the younger they are, the more adaptable they are. Is that helpful? And lots, I've seen lots of families do this. So if there's parents here thinking, oh, can I take my kids through this? Well, they're not yours, they're God's. And that, honestly, I mean, look, if you're thinking of staying for your kids' education, there's some pretty horrific things that go on in our culture these days that kids need God to lead them through on. It's no different. We just kind of settle for it because we know the culture and we kind of think it's safer. It isn't. We were thinking God was going to take us some years back. And one of the things when we looked at where we were going to go for our kids, there was a whole load of stuff in that culture that I thought they will not find that in England. I'm so grateful that they can end up benefiting from that. Now, in the end, God took us a different route. But we were, we were almost there. We told people we were going, and then God diverted us um, <coughs> to do this instead. But we, you know, there are lots of things in other cultures that our families can really benefit from. So it's not neutral. It's not in terms of thinking, well, we'll stay here because we don't want to expose them to that. Expose them to what? What are you exposing them to here? They need just as much leadership and grace and Holy Spirit here. So, good question. Uh, this do you have your hand up? Yeah, we'll go there, we'll go there, and then we're coming over here, and then we'll wrap this up. Necessarily in terms of those who have a calling from God and then want to know how to bring it together with what the needs are, what about the OSCO website, which is a great website? OSCO is a brilliant website. That's the kind of stuff that we could yeah. send through to people afterwards. Thank you so much. Yeah, we've There's done it ourselves, so I know it works. Yeah, uh, brilliant. It's a great thing. It's OSCO. Oh, just talk about OSCO. First you get the Academy Awards, then you get the Chelsea midfielder, and eventually you get... The Christian vocational uh, thing, yeah. OSCAR. OSCAR, it's full of practical resources, finance, pensions, different organisations, opportunities, all kinds of stuff on there. Um, lots of really practical stuff. So we, we often refer uh, people to that. Yes, sir? What if you feel that um, you're too young to do anything now, but God could use you later on in life? Uh, absolutely. I mean, make sure you God, in all seriousness, this is not me pushing back, make sure it's God saying that. 
Um, I mean, God had to remind Jeremiah that he wasn't too young. Um, but absolutely. I mean, look around the room. Look at some of the people who God's calling. And I'm still going, and I'm an old man. So, no, honestly, the fact you're in the room, God could take one year to develop your call. He could take 21 years. Um, just make sure you keep the fire burning. It's up to God when you go. Um, I mean, Abraham wasn't young. We've kind of quoted him a lot. <laughs> the whole point of him was he, he's kind of passed his best. That was the point of the story. And then God steps in and says, now the best is yet to come. Um, so you just keep holding on to that. Um, but don't box God in. Because God could suddenly break in at some point and say, ah, you thought it would be when you've achieved all of this, but you're going now. Equally, God can say, no, it's not yet. I've got a whole lot of stuff here for you. And then send you. Uh, so over here, did this lady, oh, do you have a question? Yes, no, was it half up? There were a couple of hands that went up. Over there, then, definitely. Wrongly accusing people of having questions. Oh, <laughs> I didn't. Fun. Yes, you did. You didn't have faith to believe it. Sorry. Could you, <laughs> um, could you talk a little bit about um, our New Frontier-style churches have got a flavour about them um, that you perhaps think, well, we're going to take that and plant something that looks like that. How do you make the church there look culturally relevant? Yeah, very for good their, question. Um, the easiest one being not having a meeting on a Sunday but on a different day. Yeah, no, very, very good. So this touches on a huge area, which the technical term is kind of contextualization. Contexts are different. That's all it means. So a church in one context, and we'll find this even within this room, actually, that churches will look different in a different context. So, um, and it will look particularly different. So, for example, in lots of places where I work, the weekend is Friday, Saturday. You're not going to have a church meeting on a Sunday. Everyone's busy. They're working. Um, so the context needs to look different. We work in Pakistan, a uh, Christian minority. There's other things that we're involved with as well, but in our Christian-based churches. So people who are nominally Christian, they're not Muslim, um, we're planting churches among them led by a guy called, a man called Pervez. One of the issues in that culture is men and women sit separately. You kind of think, well, hang on, one new man in Christ, everything God's bringing, they're just sitting, sitting together. It's, why are we still kind of doing that law? Why are we doing this kind of cultural stronghold? Sit them together. Well, for them... It's a massive issue of conscience for a single woman to sit next to a single guy when she's been brought up all her life. And, and when it's the whole debate going on in France at the moment around the whole kind of swimming wear and the bikini and everything, and then we're telling them you, you can't wear it, you think, hang on, it's, an issue. it's actually an issue of purity. Yes, it's oppressive, but is our freedom any less oppressive? You've seen how people dress. You looked at pregnancy rates. And we kind of think, oh, we're free, it's fine. No, it's just a different, different way of things being applied. And I'm not saying that these things are neutral. Don't misunderstand me. But we can look and think, oh, of course a single woman should be. She should be in the gospel, in Jesus, they're free. You can sit no, her conscience can't cope with it. So she's not feeling free. Paul talks about this. He uses the meat thing that's been sacrificed to idols. People saying, don't eat that. It's been sacrificed to an idol. It's unclean. And Paul says, it's, it's meat. God made it. It's not unclean. But he then goes to the conscience. And people, you read it in Romans and in Corinthians. People say, what's Paul saying? Can't we eat it or can't we? Yes or no? Because we like, especially us English, black and white. Yes or no? Paul doesn't say. It's down to the conscience. And if you've got a clear conscience, make sure you don't cause someone else to stumble. Ha ha! I mean, I can't then. I thought I could. No, I can't. It's the same issue. So it's not just us turning up and saying, the gospel means you're free, so you can sit together. Then you've got... Sorry, it's going on a bit. It's really important. Then you've got what the rest of society thinks. Oh, look at what the Christians are doing. 
We always knew they were immoral. Have you seen all those films that come out of America, which is a Christian country? Have you seen how they dress? Have you seen how immoral the Christian West is, which people think? They still think that today. That's one of the reasons there's so much strife in the Middle East, because it was Christians who invaded Iraq in the name of Jesus, their prophet. That's what they think. And have you seen Christian films? Hollywood is a Christian film producing. No, we know it isn't. It's from a Christian country. And now we know it's true because they've got single men and single women sitting together in church. To worship God? Really? So we can pitch up and think, in the name of the gospel, we might you don't have to meet on the same day, they even have to be in a church building. But surely they can sit together. It's not as straightforward as that. So we have to ask those questions, um, have to be sensitive to what the culture says, but not bound by it. And you have to teach into it. And sometimes that can take months to get people to understand. So you don't impose, but you still bring the truth of what God has said and let the Holy Spirit grow that seed. So the shortest answer, but I wanted to illustrate it to get people thinking. The shortest answer is, I, I think the most helpful way to look at these things is we're planting a seed and we let the Holy Spirit water it and grow it and we're involved in the process by asking questions by being sensitive and as quickly as possible trying to include indigenous people so we're not just bringing a slightly de-western approach we're actually working with them to do it if that makes sense for those of you in pakistan what did we do well in our church in one of the, the main cities where there is a range of people and and working people and people that would be used to kind of business environments where some of these rules wouldn't be. They'd still be there, but not quite as rigid. Uh, they felt able to say, we can, we will allow people to sit together. It will not cause offence. In some of the more rural churches, men and women sit separately. And you think, well, is, isn't, isn't that giving in to something which is a law? And, yeah, absolutely. Will we be sitting separately in heaven? No. I'm not going to pitch up and tell them everything they've learned and been brought up on and what people literally will throw stones at them for that you just change that overnight. And if you want to win that culture to be even open to Jesus. And I know, you know some of you now will think, I don't have any questions now, but I've got 101 questions. <laughs> this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus, who was God, stepped into a specific culture and took on all kinds of cultural things which were nothing to you know people talk a lot about oh we want heaven's culture we want a kingdom culture oh you mean the middle east because jesus was the king and he was a king in the middle east so that means you'll sit on the floor that means you're just like he did there isn't one because he entered a specific culture there are kingdom values that get expressed differently in different cultures if that makes that's the way to put it. There are kingdom values, love, peace, grace, holiness, righteousness. What that looks like looks different in different cultures. Jesus confronted his own culture. He confronted things, but he also went along with his own culture. He told his disciples, when you get invited to a meal, don't take the top seat. Because they could do. Jesus is their king. They could sit where they like. He told them, follow what the culture says. Take the lower seat. If you get asked to take a higher seat, then you can take it. That's how that culture works. He was giving them a cultural lesson. That wasn't a kingdom thing. That is when it comes to humility. But that's how that culture works. Another time, his mum's at the door. Big deal. If your mum's calling for you in the Middle East, you go. 
Jesus, your mum's here. Your family. Huge. He says, who? This is my family. And at that moment, he's challenging the culture. He's also making a point about what he's come to do. Oh, this is my family. This is who I've come for. Jesus could do that because he was an insider. He was born in that culture. If you go from outside, we've got to be really careful about challenging things. So should we challenge things? Yes. How we do that? Humility, questions, planting the seed of truth from God's word, letting the Holy Spirit work and encouraging it is how we do it. Sorry, guys, that, that was probably too long. But it just once I opened it up, I thought, goodness, I can't just leave you hanging on that. Any other questions? That's all put you off now, isn't it? No, I've done another sermon. Goodness. I just want a yes-no, not a lesson on contextualization. Any other questions? We're going here. You got him first. He's running the PA. Go to him. Then we'll go to there. Then we're going to finish. So it's what you're saying with the, the cultural side of things is for, let's say, example of a, a young woman or a young man, being holy is the value. How they demonstrate that holiness needs to fit in with the culture or potentially needs to fit in with the yep. culture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. But if it becomes like so many things do, and there's plenty of things in English culture like this, we just don't see them because we live with them. But if it becomes a stronghold or, or becomes a yoke and a burden, you want to see that broken, but that may take a long time to break. We'll go here, this gentleman. Um, so my question was about if you are one, if you are, do you feel the call to go to another nation to go and uh, maybe plan the church or be involved in there? Um, building a team to go with you or um, obviously you're trying to link it with the indigenous population but if you were to go would it be advisable to take a team good question absolutely so if we're uh, I didn't zoom in only on church planting because I recognize in the room it's broader than that but if we're talking church planting we send teams best way can't do it on your own um, it, it's biblical uh, take a group with you ideally what we try and do if someone feels called to go uh, to a, another nation to plant a church is we'd encourage them obviously by working through with their church leaders and their church leaders being behind it because it's the church that sends it's not another organization it is the church to then use part of the preparation time to recruit a team cast vision get others going and if people can arrive at this roughly the same kind of time so our current team the team my son's just joined it's going to be seven months from when the first couple arrived to when the kind of final couple but they were all recruited recruited in a similar time it's just taking seven months them to land what that means is is they start life together they do language together they go through the cultural ups and downs together um, and it means they've got relationships together we have worked differently where kind of a smaller group or a lead couple have been out first and partnered with someone else and then we've tried to get a team in the pipeline it's taken longer that couple have paid a price in terms of loneliness and although they've had other workers because often there are other organizations working and they can have some friendship they miss out on that sense of vision and camaraderie and people from the same family so we have done that but what we prefer to do is, is get a team going absolutely and, and as i said earlier that team can be made up of professionals who are going to be getting jobs they're not all going uh, to to be hands-on planting the church they'll get jobs but the lead couple will be there to kind of primarily focus on language the team definitely guys I'm going to finish time's gone you've listened really well I've covered a huge amount of ground I hope that served you well 
I realise it's taken a long time, but only get you in the room once. Um, and with a breadth of kind of questions and background, I'm going to hit as much as possible. I'm going to hang around, so if there's more, by all means grab me. But I think we need to call it an afternoon. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a fabulous weekend. Um, and whether you're going or staying, may God catch you up in his missional purposes for the glory of his son Jesus, because there's nothing else worth living for. And then he'll come back. God bless you.